Hi, I'm Ed Romaine, and welcome back to Mobilizing Culture. In this chapter, we'll be evaluating the economics of technology and how entire categories of business are being altered by a handful of disruptive companies. Joining me this week is co-founder of on-demand meal delivery service, Plated, Nick Taranto. Nick! What's up? How are you? I'm doing great. Welcome to the Mobilizing Culture studio. What is now a multi-million dollar company started with a simple mission. We wanted to take technology and data and apply it to an industry that really hadn't seen massive application yet. Nick and his business partner, Josh Hicks, looked at which industries would benefit from this forward-thinking business model. And after a few failed attempts, they ultimately found food and came up with this vision that's really guided us for the last six years. That was to create a world where healthy, affordable, delicious food is available for everyone and to use data and technology to make that possible. So um, that's what we set out to do six years ago. In many ways, we're like 1% of the way there. But uh, what started as a, as a thesis on my kitchen counter on, on West 14th Street, just a mm-hmm. few blocks from here, turned into a business, um, started with meal kits where we deliver everything you need to cook a 30-minute chef-designed dinner at home. So we send all the ingredients and the recipe cards, uh, and the idea is to make that process as consumer-friendly as, as possible. Uh, and it turns out there's a, there's a good business model there, too, as well. So you've been on TV before. You, Couple times. You were on uh, Shark Tank and Beyond the Tank, right? Mm-hmm. How did you guys get associated with Shark Tank? We started the business in June 2012. Spring of 2013, we went through Techstars, the accelerator here in New York. Okay. And that started in April. And May, we got a little bit of press uh, as part of the Techstars program. And one of the producers from Shark Tank actually reached out to us and said, hey, I think you guys would be a good fit for the program. Are you interested in flying out to, to L.A. and filming? And um, we, Why not? We, yeah, why yeah. not, right? <laughs> yeah. A great adventure. I think that's, that's part of like, the philosophy here also. Josh and I approached this as, as a giant learning exercise and adventure. And it was hard and um, incredibly stressful, but we had a ton of fun over the last five, six years. And this is just one part of that. You know, looking at this as a, hey, why not? And you can tell our kids and grandkids about this. And also we, we thought about the, the media opportunity. Nine million households, you can quantify uh, the number of impressions, the CPMs you would get, sure. or you'd have to pay to get that sort of exposure. It's, it's essentially a you know, five to seven minute infomercial going into nine million households on a Friday night. Did you um, see a quantifiable jump after? Oh, yeah, it was huge. Okay. Huge. We filmed July 6th of 2013. So we flew out there our July 4th weekend of 2013, right after Techstars ended. It then took nine months to air. So it didn't air until May of 14. But that month following the Shark Tank airing in May of 14, we did more revenue than we had done the entire history of the business combined up to that point. Wow. Yeah. You mm-hmm. look at the data, it was just a true hockey stick. You know, there was there was growth, but then that airing happened. It was just boom. And that led into the summer of 14 and when we were able to raise first, you know, quote, unquote, real money, sure, our, our sure. Series A, $15 million round. And that was, you know, that was kind of like off to the races. Up to that point, it had been just slugging it out, trying to keep the, the, the business alive, shipping a couple hundred orders. And then after that, it was, you know, kind of big leagues. Do you anticipate that the jump would be that insane? You'd hoped, I, imagine, I would think. Yeah, I mean, we cranked the numbers, right? So we, you know, we looked at the number of people who watched, made a calculation as to how many viewers would then visit the website. From the website, then we could calculate a conversion rate. Sure. And, um... You know, from there, we were able to triangulate in on what success would look like if, if the program hit our expectations. And, and it, yeah, it did by a long shot. 
Hi, I'm Nicole Gueros, and I'm a partner at Techstars. What I identified and plated that made me think that they would be a great fit, not only for Techstars, but a, a really successful business venture, was starting with the founders. Nick and Josh have an incredible amount of respect for one another, and they have been through a lot together. Just watching them interact, if, if you've ever sat in a room with them and you watch how they communicate, you can just sense this level of trust and respect for one another that is actually pretty rare. In addition to that, they executed like mad. They would have an idea and then within days, that idea would have come to fruition in some you know really early, early format. And they just knew how to get stuff done. And that was really what attracted me to Plated in the first place was the co-founders. Taking a step back from that, as a working mama of two small children, and I have, you know, greater than a full-time job, you know, dealing with things like preparing food for my children is always a challenge. So I, they were solving a real problem that I had, and I knew that I wasn't alone. And it wasn't just about going to the grocery store and, you know, finding food or, or buying food at a restaurant. I didn't want to do that either. I wanted to be in control of what my kids were eating and what we were eating in my house. So they just solved a real problem for me, and I knew it wasn't just for me. They were solving that problem. They were solving that problem for a lot of people. So when you factor in great co-founding team with solving a real problem in the market, that tends to be a winning combination. With the help of an accelerator program like Techstars and the amazing opportunity that Shark Tank provides, plated sales exploded, making it one of the top players in the meal delivery kit sector. Still, there are quite a few other companies in the space, and I wanted to know from Nick how plated differentiates itself from the competition. There's a helpful framework for thinking about this, which is you know, infinite versus finite games. And you know, however possible, try and structure... Uh, your business model and your thinking around how do we play for the horizon? How do we play for this infinite goal versus getting sucked into this zero-sum competition where it's a it's a uh, either winner take all or you know you're just competing for that marginal dollar? Mm-hmm. And you know we over the years have have really tried to look multiple years out, see where the market is going, and uh, look at the incumbents that we are trying to disrupt the the market as it stands today and think about where this is going to move over the next 8 to 12 quarters and how do we get there faster um, instead of looking at the direct competition exclusively. Mm-hmm. So I think you have to look at the direct competition to understand what's happening today and for the next quarter. Um, but the, the, the biggest wins are going to come from taking share from the incumbents and from the broader market when the customer experience is and was as broken as what we saw for, for the customers we were going after. What does Plated do better than its competitors? We really focus on that experience. So we've got experienced designers, and that's a combination of the culinary, the, um, the, the UX, the packaging, the, the recipe copy, that experience in the kitchen, cooking that meal is is what we you know breathe, live, and die for. If you haven't tried us out, I uh, encourage you to, to do so. And the proof is in the literal pudding. Talking a little bit about the online, offline experience, especially with food, do you do experiential marketing? Because... 
some of it, what I imagine to be the challenges around online food buying is the quality of the ingredients, what the textures of things are, you know, like the freshness. How do you communicate all that stuff? Yeah, I mean, this is this is a new behavior,、mm-hmm. right? Only about twenty percent of the country has bought food online. That's at crazy. At this point, right? So you are teaching people to get comfortable with this experience of buying fresh stuff、sure. through an app or through a web interface. We've tried some pretty wacky stuff over the years.、Um, Do tell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think the thing that that the most interesting thing we did. Two and a half years ago, now we bought a、um, an Airstream, nineteen early nineteen seventies Airstream. Love it. And we we got Renault it. We ripped up the sides so you could drop down a platform, and we turned the inside into a kitchen. And we drove that across the country. We had this road to discovery tour, where we stopped in eleven markets for a few days each. We had this thing there, demo kitchen. Nice digital interaction where you could come through the kitchen, try some foods, try some spices,、mm-hmm. and、um, take a survey, and then that got us your email, so we could market to you from that list,、uh, and it provided you with some recommendations around what we thought you'd like from our menu,、um, in addition to it to a discount code. You know, interesting model. We we've decided to allocate dollars, you know, into other marketing channels for、mm-hmm. the time being,、mm-hmm. but.、Um, You know, there's 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 so much opportunity still to just go out and find these pools of people who haven't even heard about this,、mm-hmm. or maybe have heard about it but haven't tried buying food online yet. Geographically speaking, does your approach to marketing differ by region? Yeah, totally. I mean, we we've built the entire、um, site architecture and data warehouse architecture down to a zip code level,、mm-hmm. so we can look at how ordering preferences and Feedback changes based on whether you live to the north or south of Atlanta. Yeah,、um, and again, you know, really interesting opportunities to micro-target for sure based off of what we see there. Of all the channels that you sort of invest in from a marketing perspective, which is the most effective for you? Yeah, I mean, we've we've tested literally everything under the sun from offline experiential marketing to direct mail,、mm-hmm. Facebook, Instagram. Podcasts, and、um, <laughs> we spend the most dollars still on TV. Hey, should I heat up some nuggets for? Isn't no, good no. or enough? It's a plated night. Yes. So, so you know, it's it's an old、great. medium, yeah, but、um, it's still the deepest, and it gives us the most air cover. Again, Shark Tank validated for us that TV was a channel that worked, and it works in a specific way because we have our attribution models that are running to make sure that we're attributing clicks the right way. But whenever we end up running TV, the analogy for me is like, you know, I'm, I'm a Marine, so I've got these.、Uh, the, I like my military analogies. But if you think about,、um, you've got your your close air support coming in, and they're they're dropping bombs, they're providing you know air cover so that your your troops on the ground can go and maneuver and do the the hand to hand house to house combat. TV is that air cover. Where you're just you're peppering the landscape, you're keeping the brand relevant in people's eyes. They they know plated, they've heard about it in the ether somewhere,、mm-hmm. and then when they see that piece of direct mail, or their friend emails them a, a, a trial, or they see a Facebook ad driving to a landing page, they're you know incrementally、um, and in many cases dramatically more likely to convert having、mm-hmm. that having that air cover. Alexa, it's cheat day. Can I order some pasta from Plated tonight? Sorry, I don't know that. 
So maybe we aren't quite there yet, but with the introduction of audio devices such as Amazon's Alexa and Apple's HomePod eventually playing a role in their future marketing efforts, I decided to go straight to the source and ask Chief Marketing Officer at Plated, Dan Cashman. My belief is that voice-based interfaces will absolutely play a huge role in a number of industries, in particular ours. So as a cook-at-home service, the ability to have recipes and instructions and guidance and control using your voice is particularly valuable as you prepare a meal. So uh, it's absolutely something that we are working with and stay tuned for, for more of that in the near term. Mmm, Moroccan chicken sounds good tonight. And ordering it on the Plated app is a pleasant and easy experience. With smartphones at the epicenter of everyone's life, I wanted to know specifically the role mobile plays at the company. Mobile is at the center of every person's life right now. So when we think about how our product is delivered, how recipes and you know, imagery of the meal you're cooking and tips and tricks and the ability for you to uh, manage your subscription with us. You know, everything is, is thought of through a mobile-first lens. The ability to connect the digital to the physical is enabled by mobile. Being disruptive has been at the core of Plated's business model from day one. Combining data and technology in an industry that hadn't previously leveraged the two has been a key element in the co-founder's business model. They had a plethora of first-party data at their fingertips. It was just a matter of figuring out how to use it. Disruption to me is playing the part of the contrarian, coming up with hypotheses that others don't believe in or that flies in the face of the orthodox way of doing things and um, executing like hell to prove everyone else wrong. Mm -hmm. Did you get any negative energy during the startup phase or were there haters? There were a lot of haters. I mean, primarily haters. Why do you think that is? I think when you're, when you're trying to do anything new, you're going against consensus. Mm -hmm. And the general human default is you know, it can't be done or... I know someone who would like this, but it's not for me. That's just human nature. You know, by the time you're in your 20s, 30s, you get trained as to what you think the, the universe of possibilities that works for you is. And it's very hard to inject something new in, into that schema, mm-hmm. um, especially when no one else is talking about it except for the person who's, who's, who's you know, kind of taking the pill, right, drink, right. drinking their own Kool-Aid. Um, so I think that's just the nature of doing anything new is you're going to face a lot of a lot of haters and a, and a lot of um, criticism or apathy. It's more apathy than criticism, okay. right? So you care so much about this thing, and you know most people have a million other priorities they're focused on, and they they just can't give you the bandwidth. Yeah. Whether you need them to partner, to invest, to join you as an employee, you know, those early days is just about massive rejection. You know, like ninety-seven percent rejection, three percent getting hits. For me, it was a risk calculation, and Jeff Bezos has this thing that he calls the regret minimization framework. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to project myself forward to age eighty and say, okay, now I'm looking back on my life. I want to have minimized the number of regrets I have. The in essence, he says, imagine yourself when you're eighty, ninety, one hundred, whenever you plan to 
you know, die. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, um, and think back to your decisions from that perspective and say, am I going to regret making this decision or not making this decision and allow that to guide what you do when you're 25, 30, 35. Did you keep that in your mind during? Yeah, big time. And for me, that was part of the decision as a you know, 27 year old to take the plunge and go with the uncertainty for you know, what would could have been a period of years, what was a period of years, because if I didn't take that plunge and really test myself Mm -hmm. and see if we could make this hypothesis into reality, I knew I would regret it. Mm -hmm. Are there other companies that you think are disruptive that inspire you today? Yeah. Yeah, there are. I've been investing in a couple earlier stage businesses. I'm taking this approach of kind of beta, which Mm -hmm. is just putting most of my portfolio in relatively low risk, like super low risk, like muni type stuff. Mm -hmm. And then the remainder of what I'm doing is like moonshot type stuff, like searching for cures for cancer, using data to detect depression and bipolar early, microfinance for the gig economy, kind of things where some blockchain stuff, these these investments, these approaches where most likely they will fail. They're really hard problems. But if they work, uh, they'll have enormous asymmetrical financial returns and this like double bottom line for me, like it's going to impact society beneficially. Albertson's announcing that it will buy meal kit delivery service plated. The financial terms were not disclosed, but this comes as the largest supermarket. In fact, one of the largest chains tries to attract more customers to its stores amid increased competition. The move comes less than a month after Amazon entered the grocery market, buying up Whole Foods. Plated launched in 2012 and is one of the top five. Over the past six years, Plated's disruptive model has been rooted in introducing consumers to the idea of purchasing fresh food online, as well as using data to enhance their experience. With its recent acquisition by leading supermarket chain Albertsons, Plated's next challenge will be actually replicating the success it has had online via a brick-and-mortar experience. Since day zero, really, we saw the future here as omni-channel. It's a buzzword, but you know this this coming together of the digital realm, the mobile realm, and traditional retail offline. Um, today, 95% of all food is still bought mm-hmm. offline. Uh, and we thought there's a great opportunity to bring the best learnings from digital, start with the e-commerce experience, and then eventually move offline once we've once we learned. You know, Albertsons is thinking about the world in, in a pretty similar way, mm-hmm. um, which is exciting to us, that they have this asset, this enormous installed base. They've got almost $20 billion in real estate uh, and all of these stores and an enormous supply chain. They're actually, they own O Organics, which is the the biggest USDA certified organic wow. brand in the country. Yeah. Um, so just these amazing assets that we could take advantage of. And in us, they saw innovative DNA, the ability to test, iterate, and scale. Mm-hmm. And um, they understood that they, they needed that to reach some of their really ambitious targets for the yeah. next few years. I would imagine also you're probably more nimble than they are. In, in some ways, yeah. right? You know, on, on the digital side, yes. But we've been really pleasantly surprised. You know, we went from... Um, coming up with a concept for an offline retail test to having that in market with them uh, in under two months. Mm-hmm. And now we're seeing really good success with that and we're, and we're scaling it. Um, so the potential to go to 2,400 stores in 
very quickly yeah. um, is really, really exciting. Is the idea with Albertsons that if I'm an Albertsons customer, I can then receive a plated service? Like if I, if I know a set of ingredients that I like or, or things at the store, is that how the, the two connect? Well, the, the experience that we are starting to pilot is you come into Albertsons mm-hmm. and you see a plated refrigerator and you buy your meal kit for the night right there on the spot. Got it. So you're buying it offline. Yep. I love that. For Techstar's Nicole Glaros, the acquisition was a no-brainer. I think a sale to Albertsons makes a ton of sense from Albertsons' perspective. I mean, I think grocery stores today, they have very, very thin margins, and they're really struggling to innovate. Like, how do you innovate at a grocery store? But yet people are dying for this innovation. They're dying for something new. And I think for Plated to come in with a fresh approach to helping people bring food into the home, the, the social nature that they bring, it makes a ton of sense from, from Albertson's perspective. And from Plated's perspective, I think it's fantastic too because with Albertson's as a platform, they have access now to a much broader customer space and they can reach a lot more people. And it really helps for Albertson's to think about companies like Amazon buying Whole Foods and why like why would an e-commerce retailer like Amazon buy Whole Foods but wow when stuff like that happens you start to see the need for you know big grocery stores like Albertsons to innovate I'm excited by it I think it makes sense on both sides I think it's value-add everywhere are there product innovations or new things coming to Plated next year that you can talk about that someone who maybe hasn't tried it yet or is a big fan might be interested in? This idea of just building a better product for you mm-hmm. and really understanding what you want uh, better than anyone has ever understood that before, or maybe even better than you understood that for yourself. So we've, we've invested in the back end to enable that that product experience and you're going to see more and more of that. So if you've been a longtime customer or you were a customer many years ago and dropped off, I think you're going to see a dramatic change based off of what we've been able to to build and do. It sounds like your long-term vision, particularly as it relates to the personalization, is to attach sort of a consumer's diet to what they have really going on in their life from a from a personal standpoint, so their health, their fitness routines, like you, totally, you just want to. Align well, this all of idea it. of health has really become atomized yeah. in in American culture, where it's your lipid levels, it's you know, your weight, um, and we're missing the mental health picture. We're missing the family involvement picture. Yeah, we're missing. And food sort of plays into all those. Food things. is yeah. the base yeah. of all that. You know, if you think about Maslow's hierarchy, food is literally the base. And I firmly believe that if you haven't figured out food in your life or if the food part of your life is compromised, there is it's a very low probability that you are optimizing the rest of your life or, or living your best potential um, because, again, food is so fundamental to who we are as, as humans. If you enjoyed this conversation and want to learn more about Nick, grab a copy of his book. It's called The Evolved Eater, a quest to uh, eat better, live better, and change the world. Thanks so much to Nick for taking the time to speak with me today. Be sure to follow Plated on all socials at at Plated. And what podcast would be complete without the following message? As a special bonus for listening to this episode, you can get 10% off your first order by entering code CARGO, K-A-R-G-O. Mobilizing Culture is a production of Cargo and At Will Radio. You can follow Cargo on Twitter at Cargo and on Instagram at Cargo Mobile. Please visit Cargo.com. That's K-A-R-G-O.com to stay up to date with all the latest.